Well, good morning. So we, we have this powerful time of worship this morning, and then Eugene shares announcements, and Jose, you can tell, has a little bit of energy, right? And then you have this real chill music before I come up. So I don't know what to think. I'm like, we're like putting you to sleep before we get started here. Um, but this is going to be a good morning. We got a, a great passage of scripture to study and look out today. Um, and I want you to listen real carefully because someone misheard me. Uh, I won't mention who, Larry, that um, first service and thought I was talking about the Romanian Jesus. Okay, you'll, you'll just see, I want you to, as I go through the message this morning, see if you can figure out where he got that from. Okay, that, that's, your, that's your lesson to pay attention today and see if I'm talking about a Romanian Jesus. Okay. Uh, no, we, we're glad you're here today. Uh, it, it's going to be good. Um, it's a sad time of year, though. And, and you know what I'm talking about if you have a garden. Because this time of year, your garden starts kind of withering out. Uh, if you're a gardener, you know that this time of year, your, your, your beans have probably already dried up. And you've had to pull those out. Your tomato plants are kind of, uh, they're, they're making their last run right, right now. You're getting maybe a few last green tomatoes off. Uh, you have a little chance to plant a few things before winter, but for the most part uh, now, I hate to say it, it, it will have a freeze before too long and your garden will be done for the year. Um, and I, I saw somewhere though, it was interesting, it said you can go to the grocery store for $5.99 and buy a bag of lettuce. Or you can decide to start a garden and spend $500 in supplies, build a fence, because if you don't, you'll have just making it deer food, right? Uh, and you can buy seeds for $5.99, and you can uh, wait two months, and then you can get your bag of lettuce. And that's what gardening is, right? It's, 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 it's spending a whole lot of money uh, for your enjoyment to, to, to be able to grow a few things. I, I, I'll admit, the food is better, right? It, it's better, it's, it's awesome, but it's a lot of work. Right? If when you garden, you know you've got to prepare the soil, you've got to put fertilizer, you've got to water it. Uh, it. With tomato plants especially, you know, you can just let those things go feral and just go everywhere, or you can actually start trimming them and pruning them and and, and, you know, and, and when you do that, when you care for it, it's amazing how fruitful your garden is. And so you can probably guess where I'm going with the passage today. John 15 uh, is where we're going to be today. It's a passage that's very well known, uh, very popular about the vine and the branches. And there's so much we can learn from this, we can pull out of this about being connected to the vine. Now, this whole section that we're doing, this series we're in, we're going through John 14, 15, and 16, kind of verse by verse, uh, kind of looking, going deeper into the living word on what it means to follow Jesus. This, uh, this whole passage was Jesus's, really his farewell discourse, as it's called, his final message to the disciples. Um, this point, he's preparing them, I'm getting ready to leave, and and they're scared. The disciples are wondering, well, what does that mean for us? And what are we going to do now? And 
And what does it look like for us to keep going forward when you're not with us? And, and as we've talked about, Jesus is preparing them by, hey, I, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm, you don't have to be troubled or afraid. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so I, I'm not leaving you per se and forgetting about you, but I'm going and in my place, I'm sending someone even better the Holy Spirit, that's going to indwell you and live in you, and you'll be united with, with me through the Holy Spirit. And so at this point in time, right, uh, what we have is Jesus is preparing them. I, I, he's getting ready to leave. He's getting ready for his upcoming death, his resurrection, his ascension. And now he wants to tell them, what does it look like? What does it really look like? If you want to continue living as my disciple, how will people know that you're my, my, you're my disciple? How will people know that you're connected to me? What does it look like in your life? And so this passage is kind of divided into two parts that we'll, we'll tackle today. Uh, the first is this illustration and description of a vine and branches. Uh, Jesus is painting a word picture for them. He's helping them understand what it really means to stay connected, to be united with Jesus, and how that brings life and how that brings fruit. And then the second part of the passage is what happens when you are united with Christ. How, what are the marks of a true disciple? How will the world really know that you are a disciple of Jesus? And I think what Jesus is getting at here is not everyone who claims to be a Christian is really a Christian. I hate to say it, but we live in this area where if you go around and ask people, are you a Christian? Uh, almost every person will say, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a Christian. And if you ask them why, though, you'll get a huge variety of responses. People will say, well, I'm a Christian because my grandparents went to church and it's kind of Christianity by association." I went, I'm a Christian because I joined a church when I was a kid or I, I got baptized. Uh, well, I, I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. You, you'll hear all sorts of reasons. And occasionally someone will actually say, I'm a Christian because I'm a follower of Jesus. He is my Lord. He's my Savior. He's transformed me. But not, that, that, that response is actually very rare. Because most people, and again, we live in this area that so many people have been exposed to Christianity but have not been transformed by it because they don't really understand it. They just heard a little bit, enough to, to think they're a Christian, but they really don't know the gospel. And so that's the world we live in. And so the message Jesus is sharing with his disciples is a message we need today. We need to know, can, what, what does a disciple of Jesus look like? How can we know? What are the marks of a disciple? How can we know? For, how can we be sure that we're saved? And how can we share that with others? So that's where I'm going uh, this morning. Um, last week, in, we ended chapter 14. Jesus has this statement, come, let's go. Uh, there's stuff to get done, basically. And so they left the upper room, we think. We don't really know where they're at now. They're, we know later, he says, they cross the Kidron Valley and start heading to the Garden of Gethsemane. So now we're somewhere in between. 
Um, I kind of knowing how Jesus taught throughout the Gospels, um, he loved doing object lessons. He loved using illustrations. I think he was just walking through Jerusalem. And so I'm thinking he's just walking with his disciples, teaching them. And there were great vines throughout the city. Uh, there was also at the temple a big golden vine there as well. So I can imagine Jesus was walking through the old city of Jerusalem. And he comes across a grapevine and he stops. He stops, points to it and says, let me tell you a story. And I think that's where we're at this morning. This, this imagery of a grapevine had a special significance for the Jewish people. And you see that throughout the Gospel of John, that it was written with all these allusions to the Old Testament and all these insights that the Jewish people would understand, but that maybe just kind of go right over our head. But throughout the Old Testament, uh, the, 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 um, a vine was used as this picture right, of God's people in the Old Testament. And now he's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Um, and so that leads me to my first point. We'll jump in today. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to John 15. But my first point is this. If you want to live a fruitful life, you have to abide in Jesus. You have to abide in Jesus. And so the question is, what does that mean? It's not like we walk around saying, hey, are you abiding with Jesus? It's not really terminology we use, right? It's not a word we use a lot today. And so that, what does it mean to be fruitful? Again, um, sometimes we act a little fruity, but that's the difference from being fruitful, right? And so we've got to know, what does this really mean? And the answer that Jesus gives us is quite different than what many would expect. If you want to be a fruit-producing member of God's family, you have to be in Jesus. You have to abide in Jesus. And what's awesome about this is the emphasis is not upon what you do. It's about who you're connected to. And so that really changes everything. John 15, chapter 1. I'm the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener, or the vine dresser, as it's called in some of the translations. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. That remain in is translated often abide in, right? So that's where I'm getting that term abide. He said in verse 5, Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So what does it mean then to abide? Here it's translated to remain in. And that's part of it, but the word has even, even greater connotation than that. The Greek word here essentially means to not depart, but to stay in one place. So the imagery comes to mind of someone that moves around a lot. And Jesus is saying, quit moving around. Stay where you are. Put your roots down here. 
That's the image Jesus is painting to his disciples when he says, Abide in me. Put your roots down here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here for you. Now, it's going to look a little different. It's going to be a little different. But you need to stay connected with me. And so, uh, if you think about it, Jesus has already told them, right, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. He's already told them how much he loves them. He's already told them, right, that he is sending the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, their helper, their advocate, the one who comes alongside of them. And in essence, what he's saying to them, if I'm doing all that, you don't need to go anywhere else. You don't have to go anywhere else to find your fulfillment, your purpose, your meaning. I am all you need. So stay here. Abide in me. Remain in me. Put your roots down. And so this illustration of the branch helps us, uh, kind of helps us understand what that looks like. Uh, a branch is only alive if the sap flows from the trunk through the branch and out uh, to the fruit. And without that connection, it dies. Now, a lot of times uh, I've been like, you know, working outside and you'll have a vine on a tree or a vine growing somewhere and and if I'm lazy and, and I don't want to like tear it all down, you just cut it right at the bottom. You just cut it at the bottom. You, you break that connection between the vine and the branch and the roots. And what happens? The whole vine just dies. Why? Because it's lost its source of strength. It's lost its source of nourishment. That's the picture, picture, that's the image here that Jesus is giving them. If you remain in Jesus, remain in Jesus, remain in Jesus. If you remain in Jesus, okay, you, you, that means you stay with him. You're connected to him. You're gaining nourishment from him. He, the Spirit indwells you. It gives the power for you to serve him and trust him. He promises to never leave you. He promises to sustain you. And so that is part of the illustration, but there's more. Because in this illustration, Jesus kind of contrasts two types of branches. Dead branches and alive branches. The dead branches, he really doesn't mince words. They're useless. They're going to be gathered up, thrown into the fire. And so that's a warning to us, right? When that a judgment is coming, and we can't escape it. And when it does, we need to be alive in Jesus and not apart from Jesus. But then he gives this picture of the branches that are alive and says, it's not always going to be easy. Because there's going to be times of pruning. Now, I don't know if, if I were to ask you, is pruning in the life of a Christian good or bad? I have a feeling that most of us would say, well, I, I don't know. It's not really something. I don't want things removed from my life. But what he's talking about here, he, he's given us this illustration. And you know, from a gardening perspective... Right. If you prune, a, 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 you know, again, go back to a tomato plant. If you start cutting off the right suckers and you get that thing where it can receive more sunlight and you get it pruned the right way and staked the right way and tied up, 
the plant is going to be healthier and it's going to produce more fruit. Right? It, it gets, it gets, you, you can direct it toward the light. You can get it exactly where it needs to be. Now, the reality is in our life, right, as we grow, there are times of pruning. There are things in our life that aren't necessarily bad, but they're keeping us from being who God has called us to be. There's times of pruning where things need to be removed, where there's times where things that are dead and withering need to just be cut out and getting rid of, got rid of in our life so that we can focus on growing and getting stronger. Uh, in Hebrews 12, right, it says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. happening. It, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. I read this this week. A pastor said this. He said, If you are connected to the vine, God is going to do whatever it takes to cause you to bear fruit. God will cut you and prune you and trim you and chop you. He is not content to let you stay on the vine bearing little fruit. God is ruthlessly determined to shape you into something much better and more beautiful than you are right now. He is determined to make you more like His Son, Jesus. The only way that will happen is through cutting away the parts that are dying so that you can grow more and more healthy. God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. Woo! God will do whatever it takes for you to bear fruit. God will do whatever it takes for you to bear fruit. God desires your life to be fruitful. And we'll talk more this morning about what that means. But He doesn't desire us to just survive, to just get by, to just do the bare minimum. I'm afraid that's what so many people think the Christian life is. Let's, I want to do enough to get to heaven, but not enough to really do anything else. Right? I mean, it, we do that in school, right? So a lot of times you're like, what is the bare minimum that I need to do to get the grade that I'm desiring? And, and we just we meet that. But that's not how the Christian life works. That's not what God desires. Is that really the abundant life that Jesus is, tells us about? Warren Wearsby, a pastor, he said this. He said, the more we abide in Christ, the more fruit we bear. And the more fruit we bear, the more the Father has to prune us so that the quality keeps up with the quantity. Left to itself, the branch might produce many clusters, but they will be inferior in quality. God is glorified by a bigger crop that is also a better crop. So the reality is, we think sometimes this pruning just happens at the moment of salvation. I've got to get rid of all this bad stuff in my life and cut all this stuff and get rid of it and dump it, you know, all this stuff. And then from then on, then it's just smooth sailing. Let's follow Jesus and everything's good. But what he's saying here is, is important. Uh, the more you grow, the more pruning is required to stay healthy. And so for us as believers, even if you've been a believer a long time, there are things in your life that need to go. There are things in your life that need cutting out. Maybe it's a, a bad habit. Maybe it's just something that you're doing that's good but not the best. Maybe it's just a misdirected priority. Maybe it, 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 it's a, 
just a temptation that's on the surface you don't think is a big deal, but it really is pulling you away from what God desires in your life. There's a pruning process that we need to go through. Now, let me ask you then, how fruitful is your life? Is there some pruning that needs to take place? There's also another um, thing we need to talk about in this section. And, And I think this is at the heart of what Jesus is talking about. If you claim to be a Christian... And again, a lot of people do. If you talk, a lot of people say, I'm a Christian. And again, it's Christianity by association. I'm associated to someone. I know someone. My parents are Christians. My grandparents were Christian. I've been to church before. But if you claim to be a Christian and there is zero evidence of his life flowing through you, this passage is a wake-up call. This passage, I mean, Jesus is so clear, right? He's just like, you're either connected to the vine or you're dead. There's no in-between. There's no in-between here. And, and, And so if you are a true Christian, there is going to be fruit, and the world is going to know there is no such thing as a private Christian, a non fruit bearing Christian. If there's no fruit, then God is not present. And if God is not present, then you're not his child. It's so black and white here. This is not something like, well, maybe you are, maybe. No, he's like, if there is no evidence of Jesus in your life, Jesus is not there. And again, we don't like, we're like, but you don't understand. I'm busy, right? I've got other things going on in my life right now. And Jesus is like, either you're my follower or you're not. Uh, Matt Carter, a pastor, said this. He said, if you claim to be a Christian, people are always inspecting your fruit, and they have that right. Jesus gave the right to them. Why? Because his followers have nothing to hide. Our fruit testifies to the truth of the gospel. Jesus, who died, must have risen again because he clearly lives inside of us. And because his disciples are connected to Jesus like branches to the vine, they will bear fruit. A fruitless disciple is no disciple at all. It does not mean believers won't suffer periods of drought or barren years, but over the course of their life, they will see evidence of Jesus' life at work within them. So at this point, the disciples are like, man, this is pretty, pretty harsh. It's pretty cut and dry here. He's talking about we've got to be connected. We've got to be producing fruit. And So what does that mean? And so Jesus goes on now to make it really practical. He goes on to describe this is what a life of a disciple is going to look like moving forward. This is how you can know that you are a disciple. And so six times in the next 11 verses, the disciples are told to love one another. John 13, 35, just a a few just a little bit before this, right? He said, the world's going to know you're, you're my disciples by your love. And throughout the whole book of John, and especially the, uh, the epistles, right, the first, second, and third John, it's all about love. That's what the world needs to see. That's how the world really knows that you are a disciple. And so now he's going to tell them, here are the marks of a true disciple. And so I want to share with you, there's five of them in this passage that we can pull out. And I'll go through them pretty quickly. Um, but here's the first mark of a, of a true disciple. It's a commitment to prayer. Commitment to prayer. What do I mean? Verse 7. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, remaining in Jesus again, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, what this verse is not saying is the whole name it and claim it. I want something, so I'm going to pray for it. And I'm, yeah, I want, right? I, I would love to have a Tesla, right? I'm a gadget guy. So I'm not, I should get up here and say, God, I want a Tesla. Give me a Tesla. Is that what God is saying here? We should just ask for anything we want? No, he's talking about a commitment to prayer here. He's talking about this, again, it's in context. Don't pull a verse out of its context to twist it, to make it say what you want it to say. In context, he's talking about being connected to the vine. The vine and the branches are inseparable. And if that's the way it is, then prayer is like the nutrients that are flowing back and forth within the plant. We receive right, nourishment from reading God's Word. God's Word speaks into our life. And we respond through prayer back to God. And so this cycle is, is kind of the, the spiritual photosynthesis that's taking place. And, and we're connecting to God. We're receiving from His Word. We're pouring our hearts back out to Him in prayer. It's a dialogue. It's this conversation that's taking place. And as we remain in Him, then His thoughts become our thoughts. His desires become our desires. Because we're connected to Him. And, and that's really what prayer is. It's the relationship with God. We receive the Word. We respond in prayer. And so in, in, in our illustration here of the vine and the branches, the gardener, right? He's pruning. He's preparing the branches so that they can receive even more nourishment. And that's what happens in our life. We continue to make adjustments we continue to prune our lives so that we can hear from the Holy Spirit. He can speak into our life and He can shape us to be more like Jesus. And so uh, our prayers are shaped by Scripture, the Word of God. And I'll just ask you this, right? When we pray, are we praying our wish list or are we having a conversation with God? If we're really praying, then that means as we go throughout our day, no matter what happens, we're just in this conversation, right? On our way to work, we're praying, God, help me today. God, give me opportunities today. God, I need... It, it's just a continual conversation all day, every day. You're getting ready to have a difficult conversation. It's like, God, you're just talking with Him back and forth all day long. That's the commitment to prayer. That's the relationship. That's remaining in Jesus. It's remaining in Him. It's staying connected to the vine. So that's the first mark of a true disciple. Here's the second. It's a fruitful life. A fruitful life. Verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So what type of fruit is Jesus talking about? I don't know. Around here, I've heard a lot of sermons in the past about the fruit is winning people to Jesus. You're fruitful if you're a soul winner. Have y'all heard? You've probably heard sermons like that. Uh, that's the fruitfulness. It's get, and yes, that's a good thing. That's, that's part of it. But is that the fruit? that Jesus is talking about is that the kind he's talking about remaining in Jesus he's talking about being shaped by the Holy Spirit I think there's more to it and it's interesting when Paul talks about this later 
in his letters, he goes into detail about what shapes us. And he pretty much says you can have good fruit or you can have bad fruit, depending on what is doing the shaping. And in Galatians 5, he tells us the fruit of a life that is not surrendered to Jesus. Verse 19, he says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, just sexual activity outside of marriage is what that word simply means. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying when our life is shaped by our desires, our sinful desires, our flesh, right? Then this is the fruit of our life. This is the stuff that's going to just flow out of us. And it's not a good list. It's not a good look here. This is, this is the stuff that we, we should, I hope we should be trying to avoid at all costs. This is not the way I want my life remembered. This is not a legacy of a life well lived. But thankfully, he goes on. In contrast, in, in verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. So I can't help but, but think, when Jesus is talking about fruit in our life, he's not talking about our effectiveness, what we do, what we accomplish, our successes. He's talking about our character that's being formed in us. And I think this is where, as churches, we get it wrong. We focus on the output instead of the inner life. We focus on what people can accomplish. And so the people, we say, oh man, look how fruitful they are. Look how charismatic that speaker is. And how many people got saved. And, and look at what they're doing. And, and then you read in the news the next week that that pastor had a moral failure. And we wonder, well, wasn't that fruit? Well, maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing. Because when we focus on the heart, we focus on the love, the joy, the peace. And I'll just say this, right? Um, for us, and I want to kind of challenge you a little bit. If you are growing in Christ, it's not like we get to pick and choose which fruit of the Spirit. Oh, I'll take a little bit of love and a little bit of patience, um, but I'm not a gentle person and I have no self-control. I feel like that's what we do with the fruit of the Spirit. We treat them like gifts. I'll take a few of these, but I don't want all of them. Can I tell you, the fruit of the Spirit, they all apply to everyone. They all need to be growing in your life. Every single one of them. And that is evidence of Christ at work within you. And, and again, I, you know, I'll say this. I think we, we look at this list of the fruit of the Spirit and say, that's a great children's lesson. The kids need to hear that. Right? I, I want my kids to know that they need to share. And they need to have some of this love and joy and peace. Can I tell you, we need it more than they do. When people describe your life, what would be the words they use to describe you? What would be written in your you know, your, 
uh, in your obituary. That's kind of a morbid thought. What would people write about you when you're gone? He was a fill-in-the-blank person. She liked to, she was fill-in-the-blank. Are these the words that are going to come out or are you going to make someone lie when they write your obituary? That's the question, right? What, what, is, what does our life look like? And, and so when we've committed ourselves to Christ, then our whole life is about Christ being formed in us. Us being like Jesus, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. Matthew 7 says this, You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. And we, we act based on what we believe inside of us and, and what's being shaped in us. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Um, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. I know this sounds like Dr. Seuss, but <laughs> it's good here. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Jesus is clear. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, people should know it by the way you live your life. You should be fruitful. And that fruit is developed deep inside of you. It's not what you accomplish, it's who you are. The goal of a disciple is to remain in Jesus. And to bear much fruit. That's our goal. So that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. I keep going. It's a faithful obedience. Uh, If you want to be a true disciple, there's going to be a faithful obedience here. Verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. The way we abide in Jesus, the way we remain in Jesus is to remain in his love. And the way we do that is through our obedience. We talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to go too in-depth here. But we show Jesus our love for him by how we obey his commands. We don't obey to earn his love. We obey as a demonstration of our love. And so the, the motives matter. And so, again here, how does this text speak to that person who claims to be a Christian, but who is living in kind of that willful, defiant disobedience to Jesus? Now, theologically speaking, some people would say, well, they've lost their salvation. They've turned away from the faith. They've committed apostasy and ran away. Some would say, well, that person was never saved to begin with. And we can, we can go back, and, and Christians have argued this for thousands of years. I know what I believe, but here's what I would tell you. Instead of wondering how close we can get to sin, shouldn't we say, can we know that we are in Jesus? Can we know that we are saved? And I think absolutely we can know. And when you are... are <laughs> When you want to sin, when you want to stay in that sin, when you want to stay as far away from Jesus as you can, to me, the Bible is clear, you don't know Jesus. I'm just going to, I mean, that's not, and our world likes to hear, well, but but I'm trying, I want to be a good person. Is there another way? He's already said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus doesn't lay out, here's all of your options and you just choose the one that works out for you. That's, that's what our American life, we want to say, we want options. We want, we want to choose our own path. And Jesus is like, no, you're either in me or you're not. You're either connected or you're not. You're either, have, have, you're either remain in me or you, you don't. But th- th- there, there's no like in between here. If you're not connected to the vine, then you don't belong to him. And again, for some strange reason in the world today, people think that it's just good enough to go to church. Going to church does not save you. It does not connect you to the vine. Being a good person does not save you. The only way you can be connected to the vine is to be brought into the family of God. That's when he adopts you. That's when he saves you. It's when you are born again. And we do that by faith when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. At that moment, we're brought in. We're grafted into his family. We become children of God. We're adopted into his family. And so that's the third thing. Uh, the uh, faithful obedience. Here's the fourth thing. An overflowing joy. Verse 11. I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Your jo- joy will, will overflow. Joy is an unmistakable aspect of being a follower of Jesus. Now, if I ask you, if you think of all the people in all the churches you've been around... Do you think of the first thing that comes to your mind, that pops into your mind, oh man, that church is full of joy. Because I've been around a lot of Christians in my life, and there's a whole lot of people that seem pretty miserable to me. And if they're joyful, they need to tell their face that because they've forgotten it somewhere. You know, you you just watch during worship. I'm, I'm just... It's interesting to see. Some people are absolutely miserable. They're like, when can we get out of here and eat? You know, your arms cross, you're mad, you're frustrated. And you're like, oh, I love, and, I, and it always amazes me. People come out, I love the sermon today. And I'm like, really? Oh, I could tell. You're smiling the whole time. I, I mean, we need, joy is a characteristic. If we, we should be, if, if we claim that we have been forgiven, that Jesus is living inside of us through the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that He is helping us in life. He is there with us every step of the way. He is there to support us, lift us up, encourage us, direct us, guide us. Don't you think we need to be happy about it? Our, 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 our joy is not based on what we're going through. We could be going through trials of every kind, but we know that Jesus is still with us and he still cares. And because of that, we have joy. And so if we're connected to Jesus, he's going to bring joy into our life. And, and we tend to think for some reason that joy and obedience are mutually exclusive. We can either have joy or we can obey. But if we obey, we're not going to be happy about it. Can I tell you, you're going to find your, your biggest joy in life when you find yourself in obedience living to how God created you. It's the way we were designed. It's the way we were made. And so those two things are huge. Jesus won't, He says, you know, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. It's in John 10.10, 10, right? 
that, that verse, we, he, that's what he desires for us, to have an abundant, joyful life. And then the fifth and final thing, a sacrificial love. I want to kind of close with this passage. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. I saw a quote this week. It said, sometimes Christians get so busy figuring out how they should be loving God that they forget to love each other. He's already said, right, the way the world's going to know that you are a disciple is by your love. And here he's defining what that love looks like. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that says, uh, I, I'm going to serve others. I'm going to lift others up. My life is not going to be about achieving fame and fortune and power and prestige. It's going to be about Jesus. It's going to be about putting him first. Jesus is the king. He invites us. We're not his slave. We're his friends. All right? He confides in us. We have a relationship with Him. And, and because of that, right, because He has chose us and brought us into His family, now we can live a life of sacrificial love. Can I just tell you, we have a responsibility to lay down our life for others. That looks like, you see that every time you choose to serve someone, you're laying down your life. You're choosing obedience you're choosing joy. You're choosing service. And so I just want to say, right, being a Christian, being a true disciple, it's not what you get out of it. It's how you learn to live for Jesus. So when you come to church, it's not about, I want to come to church and, and, and how can you serve me and what can you do for me and how can you make my life better? It's how I can live my life sacrificially for the sake of others. That's the Christian life. And so I want to challenge you a little bit this morning. How is your life? When you look at these five marks of, of a true disciple, let me just read them again for you. A commitment to prayer. Um, a fruitful life. A faithful obedience an overflowing joy, and a sacrificial love. Are those the marks of your life? Are those the things that describe how you live? Is that how people would describe you? And if not, why not? Why not? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're going to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning uh, to, to talk with God. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for each and every person in this room today. Your word speaks truth. It speaks life. It speaks encouragement, but it also challenges us. And so today, Lord, for the believers in the room, my prayer would, would be that they would be fruitful. And maybe there's some pruning that needs to happen. Maybe some things that are cut out, some priorities rearranged, some, some things that need to happen so that they can be more fruitful.
And I pray, Lord, that you would do that. You would do that to all of us. You, you start working in us in a way that we, uh, that people are, can, un, there's no mistake that we are true disciples of Jesus. They would see it in us. They would see the joy we have. They would see our obedience. They would see everything about our life simply points to Jesus. And I pray for those today, Lord, that may be here, may be listening online, that are saying, I'm not even sure if I am a disciple or a follower of Jesus. I've been trying to do all of this on my own. My prayer is that right now, right here today, that they would finally surrender and say, I need you, Jesus. My sin is great, but you are greater. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to follow you. Give me a new heart. Bring me to, into your family. Connect me to the vine that will provide the nourishment and the strength that I need. And save me. Lord, forgive me, save me, change me, transform me. Help me to be like Jesus. If that's your prayer, Jesus hears it. He responds to it. He answers it. And he, he's able to do that and much more because he is, he is the creator of the universe. When we call out to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So today, Lord, we thank you for that. I pray for our church that we would be known for our love. People would be, would be unmistakable that this is a church known for people who love God and love others, who serve sacrificially, who are faithfully obedient, who are committed to prayer. Lord, all of the things that we talked about today, that that would be what describes us as a church. Lord, we, um, we're thankful for Jesus. We have so much to be joyful about. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen.